So I'm gonna tell you a story. I don't know if it's true or not because I found it on the internet. <laughs> so let's just, you know, just just say it's true. This is from the US government Peace Corps manual. It's written for volunteers who work in the Amazon jungle. It's 10 steps on what to do in case an anaconda attacks you. So if you're in the Amazon jungle and you feel like you're going to be attacked by an anaconda, these are the 10 steps they suggest for you. First step, if you are attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. I need you to know I would be dead at step one. That would be it for me. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your side, your legs tight against one another. Number three, tuck your chin in. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. I'm telling you, I'm gone at number one, so. Number six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet and always from the end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Once again, do not panic. Number seven, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. <laughs> I mean, I guess depending on your size, it could take a really long time. Number eight, when the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth, between the edge of its mouth and your leg, then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Number nine, be sure you have your knife. Number 10. <laughs> number 10, be sure your knife is sharp. So I don't know if this is true or not, humorous or actual facts, but either way, now you are prepared if you come across an anaconda. Here's the deal though. You better be prepared in life, because there's some stuff that's gonna come up. I doubt it's gonna be an anaconda sighting. If it is, now you know what to do. But there are things in your life that are gonna happen, and if you're not prepared for it, you're gonna feel alone, and you're gonna feel defeated. And the Word of God has a lot to say about relationships. And we need to have people in place in our lives for those moments in our life when we feel overwhelmed, when we don't have the answers, and when we don't know what to do. You see, the circle of friends that you put around you are important, like I mentioned earlier, for your destiny. Now, friendships come in all sizes and all shapes. Would you agree? Yes. So my husband and I, we kind of like to talk about the circle of friendships, right? So you've got, like, you've got like your outer circle of friends. I would call these your friends on social media, your Facebook friends, friends, right? They're really more your followers, but we'll say your friends, outer circle. Then you've got a circle that's a little bit closer. These would be like your acquaintances, those that you may run into like out and about in town, students, those you run into the, in the hallways at school, maybe you have homeroom with them, maybe you hang out with them sometimes, but not super close. And then you've got your inner circle. Your inner circle friends, these are the people I wanna talk to you about today because it's these people that are gonna help you drive your actions. It's these people that are gonna help you lead in the decisions that you make. I call these my pantry friends. 
These are the friends I want to bring in my pantry, lock the door, and eat snacks together. Okay, now my pantry's not that big. So my inner circle group of friends needs to be small. For some of you, maybe your inner circle group of friends exists in a tree stand. The last time I checked, you can't put too many people in a tree stand, or on a fishing boat, or in a bike club, or heading to the mall in a car. Whatever it is you like to do with your gang, your inner circle is the group of people I want to talk to you about today. If you're taking notes, which I hope that you are, the title of today's message is this, who are your people? Who are your people? Now, we're going to journey in a story in the Bible this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Job. Looks like it is sounded like Job, but we say Job. His name is Job. It's in the Old Testament. Job was a very wealthy man who lived in the land of Uz. Not Oz, but Uz. He was honest, completely devoted to God, and hated evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, tons of livestock, sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys, and a huge staff of servants. He was very wealthy and was known as one of the most influential men of the East. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12 is where we're going to start hearing about what happened to the life of Job. Follow with me on the screen. One day, when the angels came to the report to God... Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said, what have you been up to? Satan answered, going here and there, checking things out on earth. God said to Satan, well, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. Satan retorted, so do you think Job does all that out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no one ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. You bless everything he does. He cannot lose. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you right to your face. That's what. And God replied, we'll see. Go ahead. Do what you want with all that is his. Just don't hurt him. Then Satan left the presence of God. A few things I want you to notice in this passage is that God allowed Satan to test Job. God did not do this to Job. God allowed Satan to test Job. Because the things in your life happen because we live in a fallen world. A fallen and broken world full of good, but also full of evil. So God looked down on the earth and he said, you know what, go ahead, because I trust Job. Oftentimes in our life, you can feel confident in the fact that if you are being tested, it is because God can trust you. James 1.3 says this, it's the testing of our faith that produces perseverance. Another version says, it's the testing of our faith that produces steadfastness, that produces patience. It actually says to count it joy when you have trials and hardships because it helps grow your faith. Faith is also like a muscle. I can't expect to get the best body or the strongest arms if I pick up a weight once a year. Would you agree? 
But if I'm in the gym consistently, my muscle is gonna grow and it's gonna be stronger. And this is what happens with our faith. In order for our faith to be tested, sometimes we have to go through some hard things. So within one day, Job lost everything. The donkeys, oxen, camels were stolen. Most of his servants were killed in the attack. The sheep were struck by lightning. A tornado came, flattened out the house. His sons and daughters were in, and none of them survived. In one moment, Job lost it all. But Job's response was worship. He fell to the ground and he cried out, the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know your pain point today, but I pray that we would have the courage and the faith to allow this to be our response. That we can trust the Lord that he gives and that he also takes away but that he never leaves us in the process. Never leaves us in the process. So then once again, after all this has taken place, Satan comes to God because he is convinced that Job is going to curse God for everything that happens. So he comes to God and he says, have you, he says, once again, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And he tried again to destroy him and his integrity remained strong. So Satan responded with, Okay, let me affect him physically, and surely he will curse you. So Satan left the presence of God and afflicted Job with painful sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Job sat and scraped at his sores while his wife told him to curse God. But he chose not to, and he remained faithful to God. It's kind of ironic to me that everything was taken from Job except his nagging wife. Hey, my ladies in the house who are married, Proverbs talks about a nagging wife is like a dripping roof. Constant, over, over. Got it, got it? Constant, careful, just careful. But God spared her, God spared her. So here he's got this wife who's a whole lot of fun, telling him to curse God, he chooses not to. And this is the part where Job's friends show up. So let's talk for a minute about a few things as we consider the people in our pantry, the people in our tree stand, those people in your life that are closest to you. Job 2, verses 11 through 13 says this. Three of Job's friends heard of all the trouble that had fallen on him. Each traveled from his own country, Eliphaz from Taman, Bildad from Shuha, Zophar from Namath. Did I do that right, Daniel? He has his doctorate. That's pretty good, right? and went together to Job to keep him company and comfort him. When they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. They hardly recognized him. They cried out in lament, ripped their robes, dumped dirt on their heads as a sign of their grief. Then they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and nights, they sat there without saying a word. They could see how rotten he felt, how deeply he was suffering. When you are thinking about the friends in your circle, the first thought today is this, care for your people. Care for your people. Let's look at a few ways that Job's friends cared for him in his deepest pain. They heard what had happened and they showed up. They didn't call him, they didn't text him, they didn't send a courier pigeon, they didn't do whatever means of communication was back then. They got on their donkeys, they got on their camels, they got in their cars, they showed up for Job. They showed up on the spot. 
Number two, they made it a priority. I imagine their lives were very busy. It's very difficult to travel back 2,000 years ago when there are no roads and there's only terrain and there's only animals for transportation. But no matter, no matter the difficulty it was gonna take to get to them, they made it a priority. Number three, they responded with an appropriate response. They responded with an appropriate response. It was tradition during this time to tear your clothes, put dust and ashes on your head when you were grieving and full of sorrow. So this is what they did with their friend. They didn't show up and immediately go into, hey Job, how are you feeling? What can we do for you? Everything okay? No, they responded appropriately. They were empathetic to the situation. Number four, they sat down with him. And number five, they didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. That might just be the only thing you take away today. In someone else's pain, sometimes the best thing you can do is just show up. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to come up with reasons why. Don't try to um, come up with, well, it's because of this, it's because of that, if you had done it this way, if you had done it that way. No, being a friend and caring for people, you just show up and you be in their space. They made themselves present. And there will be times in your life when you will need your friends and your friends will need you. So not only do you need to look for these qualities in a friend, but this is the way you need to be a friend to other people. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Most of you know our story. We have four kids. Our oldest is 14. Oh, and he's on the front row. I love you, buddy. Faith is 12. And then we took a long break, started over. Abigail's four and Jonas is two. That's why we look emotionally and physically tired most of the time. <laughs> so our baby Jonas, who's two, we adopted him at five days old. I always take a minute and give honor to his birth mom for the courage that she had to offer a life for him that she felt like she couldn't give him. Can you honor her with me? We love her so much. So Jonas is in our home, and this sweet little baby was half the weight that my other three kids were. Here's the deal. Fat babies, they eat and they sleep, and that is about it for a good six months. It's the best. But little babies, they hungry all the time. This baby didn't sleep what felt like for a year. Every three hours, he was up. Every three hours. Every three hours, right? So I had a friend. Her name is Allie. She called me one day. She knew stuff. I wasn't sleeping, and it was a lot. She said, I'm coming over, and I'm going to hold Jonas so you can take a nap. Now, that is a good friend right there. <laughs> so she came over. She held my sweet baby Jonas. She fed him, because that was the other perk of adoption is bottle feeding without the pressure. So everybody can help. So I took a good nap. I woke up. My laundry was folded. My dishes were done. Jonas was content. My friend showed up for me. I didn't even ask her. She just did it. She realized the circumstance, she realized the situation, and she showed up. And this is called the body of Christ. This is how we care for one another. We show up because two are better than one. Two are better than one. We are better together. You need community and you need people. Say care for your people. Okay, say it a little better. Care for your people. Care for people. Great. 
Now, unfortunately, Job's friends did not stay silent. If only we could have ended there. Job spoke up the first Job spoke up for the first time on the eighth day. But when his friends chimed in, for 24 chapters of the book of Job, his friends go back and forth about his situation. His friends' comments became more like speeches. They were full of wrong facts, reasonings why God would punish him, deciding that it must be because Job had done something wrong and encouraging him to repent so that God would bless him again. It was enough that God called out those friends toward the end of the book of Job, and he said to those three friends, this is God saying to the friends, I am angry with you because you have not spoken of me what is right. You see, in the midst of trying to care for their friend, they allowed their own opinions to override the truth of who God was. Be careful that your own opinions don't counter to the word of God. This leads to the second point, call your people. Call your people. This means call out for your people. Who are the people that you are calling in your life to be in your inner inner circle? Who are those that you are letting run the dialogue of your conversations and run your interactions? Proverbs 13, 12 says this, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Not my words, the words of God. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says this, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious don't get infected. This tells me that those who are in your inner circle that you give the most time and attention to have great, great weight in your life. Now, the best way to evaluate your people is to think about it. So right now in church, you're gonna engage your brain. I want you to think about your closest friends, two to four people. Think about it really, really quickly. Who are those two to four, maybe five people in your life that you would say are your people? your pantry people, those you wanna hang out with, those you spend the most time with. I'm gonna ask you a few questions so you can evaluate those in your life. Are they kind? Do they believe in you? Do they love Jesus? Do they encourage your walk with God? Or are they negative? Do they start gossip? Do they pressure you into making decisions that you're not comfortable with? What about you? Are you kind? Do you believe in others? Do you love Jesus? Do you have a daily walk with God? Are you on a journey with Jesus in your life? Are you negative? Are you the gossip of the pack? Do you pressure others to do things that they're not comfortable with? If you're new to this house, you need to know that we believe with all of our hearts that you were created on purpose for a purpose. You have giftings that lie inside of you. Before time began, God decided that you had an assignment. And your assignment in your life is crucial to those that you surround yourself with. Those you surround yourself with will affect your destiny. Now, the choices that you may have made with some friends in the past, those don't have to be final. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) That is why we have the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins. But our choices can affect us. And our choices can affect the things that happen in our lives. 
Let me also mention this too. It's about being intentional, not being judgmental. So when you are thinking through your circle of friends, your inner circle of friends, this message is not to give you ammo, to go to them after church, or text them, or call them, and say, my pastor told me you are not good for me. You are full of gossip, you are negative, you are not nice, you make me do things, those things you made me do, I didn't even wanna do them. Okay, look, let's not do all that. I do want you to evaluate, though. I do want you to think about those people that are in your life. But think about that when you add new people to your circle. Do the evaluation when you add new people to your circle. And for you students in this room, I love you so much. It is a crucial time in your life to be so particular about your friends. Because the choices you make now as a student have so much to do with your future. And it is okay to be nice to someone and not let them in your inner circle. You don't have to allow them to influence you. Yes, you be the salt and you be the light of the world. And you let them know about the Jesus that has changed your life, but you influence them. Don't let them influence you. If I had a chair up here on the stage and I stood on it, and um, my friend Amar down here who works out, he works out a lot. He used to be a pro football player. That's my friend Amar right there. <laughs> if there was a chair up here and I stood on this chair, even though Amar is full of strength, it would be really difficult for him to, for me to pull him up. But it's gonna be really easy for him to pull me down. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you have people in your life, you need to think through the lens of, is, can I handle this? Can I handle this? Because it's gonna be much easier for them to pull you down than for you to pull them up. Now, I am not saying don't have friends in your life who don't know Jesus, because you need to be influencing the people in this world. And the world needs Jesus, they need your salt, they need your light, they need your stories of life change, they need all of that. I'm talking today about the pantry friends, the tree stand friends, the friends in your inner circle. Be careful, evaluate, evaluate. Let's just follow Jesus' example. God's word is a guidebook, not a rule book. It's a guidebook. It's a guidebook for how to live a fully alive life here on earth. Jesus had 12 disciples. He actually had about 72 disciples, his bigger circle. Then he had 12 disciples, his closer circle. And then Jesus too had an inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John. Now, I don't know if these are the three that needed the most attention, potentially. But these are the three that Jesus pulled close. And in order to be a follower of Jesus, you had to believe in him. Think through that when you're thinking about the friends in your life. Do my friends in my inner circle know Jesus? Because in order to be Jesus' follower, you had to believe in Jesus. Just a thought, something to think about. If nothing else, I would strongly encourage those people in your inner circle that don't know the Lord, that you just keep talking Jesus to them. You keep loving them first. Loving them first, they're gonna see through your life. Something's different, but make it part of your everyday prayer and everyday goal to lead your friends to the Lord. Say, call your people. All right, let's go back into the story. Job is becoming aggra aggravated 
agitated and aggravated. I just made up a word. Job is becoming aggravated with his friends, and he says this, Job 16, one through five. Then Job defended himself. I've had all I can take of your talk. What a bunch of miserable comforters. Is there no end to your windbag speeches? What's your problem that you go on and on like this? If you were in my shoes, I could talk just like you. I could put together a terrific harangue, which is a lengthy, aggressive speech. I had to look it up. That's what that means. And really let you have it. But I'd never do that. I'd console and comfort, making things better, not worse. The third point today is this. Check your people. Check your people. Proverbs 27.6, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. So Job's friends go on and on for 24 chapters about all the things and what could have been different and what he should have done and maybe what he should do in order to get over his pain. And Job just says, enough. And he says, now it's my turn to talk. Let me tell you a few things. Now, checking your people does not mean you go up in their space and just start going off on them. That is not what I'm saying. But Proverbs 27, six says this, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. The wounds of a friend, not the wounds of an acquaintance, not the wounds of a social media follower, please can I say it again, not the wounds of a social media follower, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. A wound is painful. A wound hurts. A wound isn't quite yet healed. But people in your life who love you and are your true friends are gonna say some painful things in your life to help make you better. Some of my deepest and closest relationships in my life have been developed over the years through some painful conversations some conversations that I felt like I've had to have with them, some conversations that they felt like they've had to have with me, and I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, some friends can't handle it. And, and I wanna tell you this, it's okay. It's okay. Some friends are not meant to be in your life forever. They are meant to be in your life for a season. A season. Ecclesiastes talks about there's a season for everything. And sometimes friendships are for a season, and I get it. I'm a really empathetic, like, people person. I love people. I really, I mean, some people I don't. But, (laughs) no, I mean, I love them. I just don't like them. But, like, this is a muscle God is growing in me. Because sometimes people just need to go on. And sometimes I need to go on. And I'm gonna tell you, as you grow in your journey with Jesus, which is such a beautiful thing, as you grow, if your friends do not grow with you, you are going to outgrow them. It doesn't make you any better. It doesn't make you any smarter. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying, though, is that some friendships are seasonal, and that's all right. And for me, my friendships go deep and raw and authentic and vulnerable in all honesty because I don't have time for anything else. Most of my friendships right now consist of quality time and not quantity of time. I have a lot of people in my house They require a lot of my energy, a lot of my time. I am one who likes to take a nap. 
I don't take naps anymore because I don't have time. My husband and I, we get to be part of this beautiful ministry, this growing ministry, and God is continuing to open doors and pour his favor, and we are ready to be obedient to what he's calling us to. But that does not give me more time. It gives me actually less time. So my friend circle now, my pantry friends, I mean, we just go in quick, quick and fast. And I'm gonna tell you this too, it's taken years to develop that friendship. Because friendship also takes time. But the wounds of a friend can be trusted. And if your friend wants what's best for you, they're gonna call you out on some things because none of us are perfect, none of us. And if you're gonna be a good friend, help your friend out. Maybe call your friend out. My friend recently sent an email to another group of friends of mine and it just didn't represent her well. The way she typed it out, the, the way she said it, the, the words that she used. And I told her, I said, this isn't who you are. Like when you sent out that email, that didn't represent you well. You know what my friend said to me? She said, thank you. I had no idea. I knew that wasn't her heart. She said, you know me well enough to know that wasn't my heart and my intention. And thank you for saying that it could have been translated a different way. That's an example of checking your friend. I didn't go to her and be like, have you lost your mind? That was so rude, that was so not kind, you are so much better than that. No, no. I just said, hey, that email you sent out, it didn't reflect you. It didn't reflect your heart. I know your heart. So we're gonna check our squad. We're gonna care for our people. We're gonna call out our people. Who are those people in your life? We're gonna check our people every now and then. And the final point today is this. Claim your people. Claim your people. There may be some of you here today that, you know what, maybe you don't feel like you have friends in your life. This is why we encourage small groups. We want you to get connected in community. And a large church can feel very overwhelming, but a large church can feel like a small church when you get connected in a small group. When you get connected on a serving team. Our serving teams, every weekend, they come together. It's a group of the same amount of people. So my mom, she serves in this house. She's got three best friends. They call themselves the Fab Four. They're totally awesome. They're like a little bit older, a little bit wiser. And there's, they just, they do trips together. They hang out together. They, they do all the things together. But they met dream teaming. They all served in DHQ. And that's how they met. And over time, over the years, they now have this bond with one another. I don't want you to leave today feeling lonely. And if you go to a small group and you're like, you know what, I'm not really clicking with that group, go try another one. It's okay. There's no hard feelings here. We want what's best for you. And let's be honest, not every person in the world gets along. Would you agree with that? Yes. Right? So find a group that fits best for you. But relationships take effort and relationships, they just take time. They take time, but they also take effort. Real quick story, the summer um, of my senior year, my family moved to Louisiana. My dad is a chaplain, was a chaplain in the Air Force for 36 years. He's here this morning. I love you, Dad. I honor you. I honor you for your service, your service to our country. 
So we moved every three years of my life. In my senior year of high school, we moved to Louisiana. Three years before that, we had lived in Las Vegas. Three years before that, we had lived in California. I was kind of a West Coast girl. And then we moved to Louisiana. I didn't even know where it was on the map. I'm being honest. We had a motorhome at the time. It was called the Jamboree. Jamboree Motorhome. I'm the oldest of four. There's six of us. We all piled in that jamboree, and I think, actually, I think me and my brother drove another car behind it. Anyways, we road tripped over to Louisiana. I knew no one. I ended up at the school my senior year. This was a, a Christian school I was at. A lot of the kids had been there since kindergarten. It was really hard to make friends. Raise your hand if you've been there before. Difficult to make friends. Every morning, I found myself hiding in the bathroom. I would hide in a bathroom stall every morning because I was so nervous and I was so afraid to sit in the auditorium area where we had to wait for the homeroom bell to ring. And at that time in my life, I just felt sorry for myself. I thought, I'm a nice person. Like, why wouldn't anyone wanna be my friend? Like, I don't understand. Guys, I was hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> no one's gonna come into the bathroom in a bathroom stall and knock on it and say, can I be your friend? <laughs> You see, I let fear keep me from creating friendships. And sometimes making friends is hard and difficult, but don't let fear make your choices for you. Proverbs 18:24, really quickly, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. In other words, I need to be friendly in order to have friends. And sometimes we need the strength of someone else to make us brave. I tell my kids all the time, if you're at school and you see somebody at a lunch table or you see somebody in a classroom that's sitting all by themselves, I want you to think about your mom sitting in the bathroom stall. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I don't say that, that's really weird. <laughs> but I just remind them, like being alone is real and being alone is scary. And sometimes you need the strength of someone else to come over to you and help you feel brave. I hope that you will help others feel brave in this world, and I hope that you will have the courage to claim your own people, to come out of the shell. Maybe you feel like it's not my personality, I'm shy. Okay, well, make, make a good choice. Life is full of choices, choices are hard. So you're gonna choose the choice of staying alone, hard choice, or you're gonna choose the hard choice of putting yourself out there a little bit. Claim the people in your life because you need community. That's why we talk about it so much around here. Now let's finish up really quickly with Job. After 24 chapters of Job and his friends going back and forth, God speaks up. Once Job's sufferings had ended, God honors Job for not wavering in his faith. He accepts Job's prayer of forgiveness for his friends, and then he blesses Job with twice as much as he had before. He blesses Job for his obedience. If we allow him to, God will always, always use our pain for greater purpose. He will always use the pain in your life for a greater purpose if you will allow him to. So for our friends today, we're going to care for our people. We're gonna call out for some people in our life. We're gonna claim our people and we're gonna check our people. In love, in love, right? Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, I thank you that it is available to us, and I thank you that it is just as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. Lord, thank you for your stories and, and your examples of, of how to live this life. 
Jesus, life can be really tough and really difficult, God. So I thank you for your word that helps us know how to conquer it and live it well. Father, I pray today for my friends, anyone under the sound of my voice, God, I pray that you would give them a spirit of boldness and a spirit of courage in regards to their friendships and their relationships. Lord, those in this room who feel all alone, God, I pray that this week, you would bring some relationships along their path. God, in courage and boldness, they would step up and maybe have a conversation. Say, let's go to coffee or let's get together sometime, Lord. Give them the courage to create community in their life. I thank you for the body of Christ, Lord. I thank you that, that that's what this is all about, living this faith journey together. And Lord, I, I have to believe that there might be some in this room this morning that have never placed their faith in you. God, and we're gonna ask today for a spirit of boldness, God, and a spirit of salvation in this place. As you continue to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you today, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus before, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that today. Because you see, He is your greatest friend. He will be and can be and wants to be your greatest friend. And Romans 10:9 tells me that if I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. Not maybe, not hope so, but will be saved. So I'm gonna ask you with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, if you wanna be saved today, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. You raise your hand up, keep it up high. I see you, I see you. We're gonna say a prayer together for the benefit of those saying it for the first time because we don't do anything alone in this house. So church, will you pray after me as I lead these strong and courageous people into the prayer of salvation this morning? Say, dear Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for loving us first. This morning, we believe in our heart that you are Lord. And we declare with our mouths that God raised Jesus from the dead. God, today, I surrender my life to you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that from this point on, I will live a fully alive life because of you. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Hey, we hope today's message spoke to your situation and was helpful to your life. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the channel. We're posting new content every week. And also, if you'd like to partner with us financially, you can click the link below. You know, it's thanks to the generosity of people like you that we're able to meet the needs of people all over the world. So thank you for making a difference and helping deliver this message to the people that need it most. And thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you soon.